to the Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Donkos, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms mother in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. If you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 29 of the Extraordinary Moms podcast. It's Jessica here, and I'm so excited to bring you another fantastic episode. My guest today is Katie Ressler. She is a licensed therapist, she is an extraordinary mom, and she lives abroad. She currently lives in Europe, and we're gonna talk about her experience with living in Germany and practicing as a licensed counselor there. The perception of mental health support and everything differs significantly across the world. And we're gonna talk about those differences. We're also gonna talk about loss and how she helps others to cope through that process. She also, not too long ago, lost her own mother, and she talks about that experience for herself. It is such a great conversation with the backbone of not only life experience, but also education, which I really, really loved. So you're going to love getting to know Katie today, and I know you'll have so many nuggets and takeaways to come away with. So let's get to it with Katie Ressler. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with Katie Ressler today. Hi, Katie. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Where do you live? So I am in Munich, Germany, but originally, um, I just claim the southeast of the U.S. because as a military brat, like, you don't really get to pick one place, do you? You kind of move every two to three years, and therefore, uh, the southeast is my home. Okay, so what branch were your parents in, or your one of your parents? Yeah, my father is in the Air Force. Okay, and so how many different places have you lived in the United States? Well... I will just say that the longest I've ever lived in one place until I was 25 was the four years of university. So we moved every two to three years, including we lived in Germany. My brother was born over here. Oh, really? Um, And I'm trying to think how many moved. I think it's 12. Wow. (laughs) I think it's 12. And I even joke that at college, I moved dorms or dorm rooms every year. So I don't know that I can even count those four years. Right. (laughs) You know. In one place. Yeah, you're yeah. you're used to, to transitioning and changing and upheaval and everything. Having that experience yourself, would you extend that same opportunity to, to move a lot and have that type of pace in your own kids' lives? Like, did you like it? Do you think there's a lot of, you know, more benefits than cons to it? What was your impression of moving around a lot? For me, I, to be honest now, as an adult, I look at it and I see it's all about personality type. If you have a kid who can really adapt well and is somewhat extroverted like I was, then they're able to like pick up. If you have a kid that's very introverted, and as a therapist, I've worked with military families a lot when I was in the U.S., and you could see the ones who just struggled. And then later came in the teen years like some major issues. Um, so it, for our kids, we have decided to, to do our best to stay in one place. You know, with the reality of life happens, things occur, but it will not be, um, it will not be a goal of mine to move every two to three years. I might just move the furniture in my house, but I will not move us. (laughs) There are smaller things and less consequential things that you can move around in order to get get your fix, right? Uh, Totally, totally. That's funny. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying about personality. And the fact of the matter is, if you have more than one child, chances are it's not going to be the best thing for for every single one of those children, you're probably going to have at least one that's going to struggle with that. And even just moving 
similarly, um, the past few years we've moved a lot. My husband was in the military as well. And so we just did a few moves and yeah, the kids care that they're leaving behind a life that they love. And it starts to feel a little bit unfair. And while we've met wonderful people and our world has been opened up because of the ability we've had to move and see different parts of the country and things like that, there's trade-offs. But but just because there's trade-offs doesn't mean it's not ultimately a good thing too. So totally, totally. I agree. I agree. And some people you you can't you can't change it. It's Mm -hmm. kind of the life that you signed up for in some ways. And so I always say the best thing to do is find a family therapist who can help with that adapting, get them involved in community sports. My mother rocked at, you know, back when the yellow pages were big, like going to the yellow pages of the new place we were in and going, okay, we're going to go here. We're going to check out this museum. Here's the local library. And that was awesome. That's what helped. Yeah. Just get plugged in. Yeah. My son, um, so we moved most recently in December and he was struggling with going to school and adapting and things. And so he's a first grader. And so he started seeing the school counselor and that ended up being the most wonderful thing. And I was wondering, do we need outside help beyond that and everything, but really just starting locally with, within the confines of where he was actually struggling proved to be a wonderful, wonderful resource. I'm going to put out an episode about it actually, cause he wants to talk about it. He wants to talk about how he went from crying every single day and being scared and missing his old life every single day to actually skipping to school. It's possible, but they need that yes, support. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am so excited to chat, but before we dive into who you are in your journey, before we got on, we were talking about daylight savings and the fact that we transition at a different time of year, our daylight savings time than you do. And this blows my mind. You, you experienced daylight savings like two weeks after us. Yeah, for for the in the springtime, it was I believe it's two weeks because it really screwed up appointments I'd made with people in North America and um, or talking to family. I I would feel bad calling them at a certain time, like if there's a situation. They're like, "No, I've been up for an hour," and I'm like, "What? Wait, it what really time just, is it? Even when you know it, you forget because right. you're just so used to this big time difference. And then all of a sudden, you're like savings time happened, and you're like wait, this is even better because there's less time apart, but you forget it when you schedule appointments. Absolutely. That's so confusing. And I think there's a law that just passed. I'm in California where they're going to stop doing daylight savings. Like in Arizona, they don't do daylight savings. They never have, or at least haven't for a long time. So let's just all get rid of it. So we're all not confused. How about that? They're looking to do that here as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. I agree. Good. Can we all just get on the same Golly. <laughs> Everything stays the, the same because to be honest, as parents, we know it doesn't matter if it springs forward or falls backwards. The time is always whatever time the kids want it to be. Yes, exactly. You're and awake when they're awake. And if they don't want to go to sleep, it, they don't want to go to sleep. It's always an issue. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we had that talk. That's good. <laughs> We're all on the same page here. Well, <laughs> Katie, for people that may not know you, I'm so excited to chat based on your background and your life experience. But for people that may not know you, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Yeah, definitely. So as I shared, came from a military family. Um, naturally, you talk with lots of people as you move around, and I became um, a good listener and later in life became a therapist. And so I did my training as a marriage and family therapist, um, became licensed in Virginia, and um, fell in love with this tall, handsome man who has an accent. But we were in the States. Everybody asked, was it in Germany? No, sorry, not as romantic, (laughs) but in the States. 
we just decided that after I had my first, we wanted to come and move to Germany. It was better for language development. Um, I was pregnant with my second, so I knew like there's going to be another one that needs to learn this. And eventually I need to learn it maybe through the power of osmosis. I don't know, but I've got to learn this language. Um, I had a private practice during that time. And then um, when I had my first, I said, okay, I'm going to stay at home with her. And so I, I sold the practice. Um, so I had been, I had taken like a break for a year. We moved to Germany and here I kind of got into this space of like, I don't know if I can be a therapist here. I don't know what this is going to look like. There's different rules. There's different, you know, all these different things. When you move to a new country, there's a lot you have to figure out. Healthcare, education, all of it. Um, what's just normal, <laughs> like what's normal between people. And um, I found that I was able to do workshops and teach people the skills I was teaching them uh, as a therapist. And then I was able to do uh, couples counseling. And then from there, I started doing web courses online because I realized I am able to, to use the stuff that I'm teaching that isn't so super deep and personal in such a way that impacts more people. And web courses, online programs seemed just like the natural fit. That is awesome. I love how you're able to make that transition and still utilize your skill set, but yet be adaptable to this new set of circumstances and a new environment. And I bet you learned so much about, yeah, the differences of a completely different culture. And so I am curious to know, as you've counseled couples both here in the States and abroad, what are some of the differences you see in uh, marriage relationships or family dynamics that kind of stand out to you? Oh, that's a great question. So here I tend to see bicultural couples and English. I call it as the romantic language, how they met, how they probably fight, how they probably make up. So with English being their romantic language, that isn't one of theirs or both of their mother tongue necessarily. Hmm. And so when you are emotional and upset, you want to go and revert back to your mother tongue because you know how to speak the, the, like your, your truth how you deeply feel about something in your language. It's very hard to learn that in another language because that goes back to the root of who we are from the very beginning. So when, um, when there are arguments, a lot of the times one will feel pushed or overpowered by the other who knows that language better. And they feel like they can't get out how they actually feel. They're not being listened to. And truly it's because they don't have the words for it in that in English. Whereas in the States, when people argue, you know, they both know the English language. Sometimes it'd be better if they knew a different language, <laughs> um, but they, they struggle with just uh, the tone, the, you know, how firmly something was said or not, uh, what the, the nonverbals are. And I feel like when you, when you add in a different culture and a different language, all of that becomes magnified. Because oh if you gosh. don't really know the words for something, then you're watching the nonverbals even more. And you're listening to the tone to go, is this a bad thing that they're saying to me or not? So that has been a huge difference and really cool to watch because I am in a bicultural relationship. Yes. And it made me go many times, oh, like that's what's happening. I never would have guessed that would have been your answer, but that is so fascinating. And because you are in that situation yourself in uh, a bicultural relationship, do you feel those limitations like on your husband's behalf and his command of the English language and things like that and his ability to express himself accurately? 
Definitely. I think uh, where it shows up is really when the anger is just very emotional. Wow. Then you can kind of see, you know, like he might use a word, but that I go big blow up. Oh my gosh, what? And he's like, wait, maybe that wasn't the right word. (laughs) But I've already been, I've been, you know, my little soft spot has been tapped. You've hurt me. And it's hard to come off that and go, oh, okay. I understand you meant to say something else. Right. And we've all said things we regret, but if it is our native tongue, we're way more accountable for the correct use of vocabulary, tone, sentiment, body language, because that is what we are mostly in command of. Um, But I think almost body language is kind of our secondary language that maybe we're less aware of. So maybe that's uh, kind of the bicultural uh, parallel there where we need to be more aware of the limitations or the lack of awareness that we have with our body or our tone or or our interpretation of somebody else's, right? Because I think that's where a lot of miscommunication happens is like, you said this, but you meant this. Like, that's what we think in our mind, right? right? <laughs> yes. I tell most couples to argue with a notepad in front of them. Okay, what do you mean? you write down, what's the problem? Katie said, this is the problem. My husband, you know, response so that you keep it logical because I am very good. And women naturally, we do this. I call it the spider web. This one thing reminds us of this thing that reminds us of this thing. And all of a sudden we're through the spider web connected to all these things. And we don't always make sense. And it's not to say that all women are like this, but naturally our brains tend to work like this. So as we're arguing, we sometimes forget, have you ever had that like, what were we arguing about again? I don't even remember. Right. Because we brought in the emotion from two years ago and three months ago and something else someone did to us and we lose track. So a notepad in front of you, what is the problem? What's the solution in this sense? What do we need to work on? Uh, and if it's like, well, that hurts me that that's a problem because it makes me feel guilty. It makes me feel like I'm failing as a partner. Hmm. Like that takes some self-awareness and that's where therapy is a good kind of guide of working on that awareness. But when you have something written down, it's sort of the benefit of like, if your partner writes you an email and says, these things are bothering me, we need to talk about it. You have time to kind of look at it and think when you're in an argument, when you have to sit down and write it, that even gives a little bit of time and space to think, you know, like, okay, I'm writing this down. This is the problem. Why is it a problem? What, What bothers me? That kind of thing. Yeah. I love that. I've never heard that tip specifically, but I definitely have been in situations where, you know, I, we've written an email to my husband or I have written emails to each other where it's like, okay, this is the issue. Let's, let's convene tonight and let's, let's go through this and see what we can come up with. And, and I do, I always think that time is your friend, both when you're parenting in your marriage relationship, if you can create space between the time of when your emotions are getting heightened and things are escalating, nothing productive or um, there's no education that happens in the context of heightened emotions, right? And so, totally. so by totally. by boiling it down to a different time or you know a list of, of facts that can definitely help de-escalate things. That is so fascinating. Oh man, I always say I would love to be in the mental health space and and do that. That is such an investment of time and I mean the amount of hours that you need to get to become licensed and everything. I mean I just admire all the hard work that goes into it. And I wish it was more priority for people. I had an episode come out called why I love therapy because it is such an important tool, just in the same way we take care of our physical body, taking care of our mental health and 
really being aware of how our thoughts are contributing to how we feel and how we act and all these things, like that's a game changer. And I, I mean, do you see it I, I, in, in, do you also see it um, becoming more prevalent in Europe as well? Because I think it is gaining some momentum here that it's becoming more socially acceptable. Are you seeing it there as well? No, I will say that um, it mm. still is a struggle. I think um, for many Europeans, there's that mindset of privacy. If I can't figure this out, then it's just not supposed to work. Wow. Or there's something wrong with me. And it's very um, beating yourself up or beating up yourself as a couple versus just saying, like, you don't wait till your car has, like, a tire missing, everything, you know, the wheel won't turn anymore, and you check engine light's been on for months. Like, you actually go and get the oil change and you get it fixed. Or you don't just plant a seed for a plant and then don't water it and put it in the sun. Like we do all these other things for all the other things in our, our lives, for mechanical things, for plants, but we don't take care of ourselves in that same way. And yet we know by taking care of that car regularly or that plant regularly, it's going to grow. It's going to, it's going to be healthy. The car is going to stay active and, and we're going to be able to use it for longer but we think in our relationships, we really shouldn't have to do that much work or the work should just, we should just know how to do it. But mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I didn't come out of the womb being like, I know how to partner with somebody perfectly. No. Like I'm still a work in progress in that way. And I'm a couples therapist. So anyone to expect that they've got it all figured out. I'm sorry. It's good, good luck. Right. Good luck. Well, and it takes you 20 years to even realize that the normal that you were raised with is not everyone's normal. Like it, it oh, doesn't, that doesn't come for so long. And then by the time your norms and your ideals and your perspectives are so ingrained in your mind, if anything is kind of off or something else, some other thought or some other behavior would serve you better, that takes a lot of concerted effort and time to change. Right. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. And so often, you know, those who get married in their early 20s or mid 20s, they wonder why there's such a struggle when the honeymoon period's over. And it's because you're figuring yourself out. Mm -hmm. And so is this other person. And you guys are about to do some big changes in, within yourselves and in your life. And if you can't do that together, it is going to be very challenging. And that's where things like therapy are, are great to have. You know, why not have a person listen to both of you and say, wow, I'm really noticing you interrupt him regularly. Mm -hmm. Did you realize you're doing that? No, I didn't. But of course he's like, oh yes, I've been telling her for weeks, you know? So it's really nice to have that person say, have you thought about this? Mm. And not to attack you and not to, to, to hurt you, but to try to help the situation. Right. Yeah. I love that. What, because, um, people are, tend to be more private and things like that, like you're saying in Germany, maybe in as in Europe as a whole, what is the perception of divorce there? And what are those statistics like? I don't know the statistics um, here in Germany, but I do know that it is quite typical when you are in your early 40s that divorce starts to happen. Hmm. Um, I had a friend recently who's going through a divorce. She's in her early 40s, and she went to the doctor um, to, to get some help um, and, and to get some medication for the time being. And he said, um, he said, oh, you too? And she said, what, a, what am I, like a cliche? You know, like, what is yeah. this? Like, it's like it's, it's almost like don't drink the water. It's, it's so prevalent in this area. And, you know, I am in a big city. 
um, and their stress to doing, you know, living in a big city. Um, and also I remember, you know, being at the seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and that's when the parents started divorcing. You know, that was the time where things got really difficult. Um, so around here, I would say it's something that the older generation is not happy about. This is a very um, conservative Catholic area. However, I think the younger generation see it as an option. I've worked with couples that um, at least one has said, when I got married, like I knew it may not work. Hmm. And so like I, I'm, I know if that doesn't work, okay, well, yeah, move on and, and find somebody new. And I don't remember hearing too many people say that in the States. No. You know. Yeah. They don't go like... into it thinking it's temporary. Yeah. And it's interesting that the behavior of being private and things like that, that still is typical, whether it's the older generation or this current generation. But that being said, yeah, just the awareness of an inability to get the help has shifted the mindset of now, well, now divorce is an option. Whereas before people probably just sucked it up, but they were still as equally unhappy <laughs> as they didn't right. know where to get the assistance and the support. Totally. I mean, we, a lot of times I think now as, as women, we look back at like the 1940s housewife and we're very critical and, you know, but the amount of women during that time who, you know, alcoholism mm. and, and drug abuse, because they were so unhappy and they just didn't know how to be able to stand in their own. They weren't allowed to, that was, you know, there was a lot of issues and we can go even step even further back. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it makes total sense that we, we have felt this struggle of how do I get out of this? And now it's like the pendulum has swung almost. And it's like, Oh, it's easy to get out of it mm, yeah. versus there's something that brought you together. And not all marriages work, and I will be the first one to tell a couple, you know what, I, like, I'm like, i with you, but this may not work. And if it doesn't, we're going to work on an amicable divorce mm. because we don't always have to hate each other at the end of a, of a relationship. Um, but if we have some tools, we work on our communication, we work on our connection, and then it doesn't work, okay. Mm -hmm. Then you know you put your best foot forward instead of, like crossed arms, pissed off teenager look of like, well, it's up to him or it's up to her. No, because when you leave a relationship, if you leave a relationship, you want to leave knowing that you really tried, hmm. that you really put in your best effort because that's what you have to live with the rest of your life. Did you really, really try? Well, and when you're trying and putting in your best effort too, you're also working on yourself. So whether the outcome is divorce or you stay together, Either way, you're both becoming better and more equipped for healthy relationships in the future, whether it's with each other or with somebody else. But when you can just like bail, chances are going to get into a similar situation with similar issues because you're taking yourself, that same self into the next relationship, right? Totally, totally. I think mm -hmm. of it like luggage, mm -hmm. like every yes. relationship, yeah. even dating when we were younger, like you have a little piece of luggage and a piece of luggage and a bag and a bag and you can either check it at the front or you can try to carry it and get on that airplane with it, the oh. next relationship. <laughs> and it that doesn't work, does it? So we, we have to. We have to learn how to work through that and kind of go, okay, I don't want to carry all this baggage. This isn't helping me. Yeah. It's not going to help my partner in the future. Yeah, I love that analogy. No one wants to carry that luggage all the way to the other side of the terminal. Nobody wants to do that. No. <laughs> Especially not nowadays. No. No way. 
Well, that is just so fascinating to me, and I could talk about it all day long. But we also want to talk about motherhood for you and and that journey. How old are your kids now? So I have uh, two daughters. One is about to be five, and one is two and a half. And they are the most interesting bilingual kids ever because they intermix these two languages in such a way that – you just have to be their parents to understand most of the time what they're saying. <laughs> so, oh, so how is your German now? How long have you lived there? So we have been here now for three years. Okay, and has the osmosis thing worked for your language skills? I mean, <laughs> I wish. Um, no, and a component of it is, is my work is in English. I am the English for the girls. So it has been a struggle for me. Um, but I am doing lessons, and hopefully I will be passing um, – a B1 level test coming up in two weeks. So I have been working really hard at it. Okay. So we will see. That's amazing. So what have you noticed about the differences between mothering in the States and then mothering where you are now? Is there a shift in, in the approach? Well, I will say, first of all, I think something that has to be brought up, because I don't think many people are aware of this. Everybody knows that, oh, in Europe, usually you get a year off or, you know, you get more time off after having a baby. Um, I have found, especially in Germany, it's amazing because not only do you get that time off, you usually get a month prior to the baby is born, you get that time off already. Then in the hospital, at minimum, unless you want to leave earlier, you stay a week. And so they're taking care of you. And it is the same as in the States where like the food isn't great and you know that kind of thing. You don't always get the best nurse, but you get to stay. You're not pushed out really fast. So they make sure that you really have healed. Then you go home and you um, you get a nurse, basically, who are a midwife that comes either to your home or you go to a practice and they come and check on the baby. They weigh the baby. They like I never had to leave my home in the beginning because they came and took care of all those things. And that was amazing. And insurance paid for that. Wow. And then this is the like, hold yourself ready. <laughs> yes. <laughs> insurance here pays for you to do kind of like Pilates to rebuild your pelvic floor Stop. because they know that is a problem for women, especially after multiple births. Genius people. Hello. Right. Yes. At the six week visit over here. They're simply not covering all their bases. First of all, the mental health screening is a joke. Second of all, yes, the pelvic floor, the, the I'm going to pronounce it wrong, diastis, recti. Yeah. Like the separating uh, of the abs. Correct either. So yes. many people have it and they never address it or they don't know how or they don't even realize they have it until 10 years later when they're still like, I'm working out, I'm eating healthy, what's going on? And then they realize there's like literally nothing they could have done about it without getting physical therapy. Right. It's crazy. So that's amazing. Right. So you had that, you, you got to experience that with your second. Yeah. Which was awesome because the first, you know, it's one of those, I, I had a pretty traumatic birth experience with my first, but I got to stay in the hospital for a week after that because of that. So I got to compare what a week in the States would have, was like and a week in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other piece I would say, as far as the hospital care and after, um, is there, they are really good about making sure you're really ready to leave. Hmm. Let's let's just check on everything. Let's see that everything is healing and the way it's supposed to be. And they really make sure the baby is taken care of really well. Um, now, there are some women who have negative experiences like any other place, but I would say this is my, my personal experience and experience of most of my friends, that it was very positive. 
and again, you get that after uh, afterbirth care at home. The difference I'm finding in motherhood here, it basically occurs at the playground. <laughs> you know, I think that's the best place any country you're in. Like, how do the mothers parent at the playground? Mm-hmm. Um, and here, a common problem that I constantly read in, in Facebook groups and hear about with my friends is, do you share... Do you let your kids share the toys? Or if they say they don't want to, do you make them share the sand toys? Most playgrounds here are sand, which first of all, let's just talk mom to mom. Oh my gosh, you're bringing in so much sand every time. So like, much. I miss, I really, really miss the little wood chip playgrounds or the rubber, <laughs> rubber, t- recycled tire playground. It's sand. Yeah. And I just think, Why? I do not know the German word for it, but a mom friend once told me there is actual one German word for taking out the sand out of shoes, (laughs) like shaking (laughs) it out. I don't remember what it is because I just, you know, I let them do it in our front yard. Like, please just get it out. When you're at these playgrounds, everybody brings their sand toys. And then it's sort of the, do you, do you make your child share? Mm -hmm. Now in the U S it would be hundred percent. Most Okay, not 100%. Most moms would say, you know, honey, yes, you can share. Mm-hmm. We want to share. Mm-hmm. Here, they typically just stare at the other parent who might be looking at them like, can, I, can my kids play? And they don't really respond. <laughs> and sometimes, especially if they're really, really young, they might go like, yeah, sure, okay. And sometimes, if he doesn't want to share, he doesn't have to. Hmm. And it's a little bit like, okay. And so here's the mentality. If I went up to you and said, can I borrow your car, and you didn't know me, should should you share it? That literally has been <laughs> one wow. of the ways somebody's defended this way of being. Oh, wow. Um, That's you extreme. Know, you wouldn't share your car. <laughs> you wouldn't share your, you know, so why should I teach my child to share their sand toys? Okay. I, I, I see your train of thought. <laughs> I see your train of thought, but wow. So that is something that's different in mothering here parenting in general is how much the parents actually get involved in the interactions between the kids versus let them figure it out. And I'm actually okay if my child doesn't want to bend for your Mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating. And so if you are somebody that wants to teach your child to be inclusive, to share, to have more of that mentality than the, yep, you get to decide if you don't want to share, you don't have to. How do you do that when the majority is the opposite? Well, it works really well that, I I mean, many parents here speak English, but Uh the kids don't. (laughs) So I'm usually able to speak to my kids in English and go, well, you know what? He's just not being very nice right now. (laughs) No, it's totally a judgment call on my side. um, That's typically what I say, because I do want my kids to be willing to share something as simple as a toy. I don't expect them to share their car later on in life. Right. Um, but I think toys are a great starting point of um, learning how to communicate more effectively, learning how to get along, how to play together, how to make friends. Yeah. So I, I, I usually will speak to my girls in English and just go, okay, you know what? I bet we can find someone over here that we can play with or – Next time we'll bring our own sand toys. Let's go on an adventure and go for it. Like I redirect as quickly as possible. Um, but I do tend to point out a little bit of a, you know, well, what did you think of, of when he said, you know, I'm not your friend or whatever, or I'm not going to let you play with my things. And my daughter's dead on. Like that was mean. That hurt my feelings. Right. Okay. 
yes, so we're on the right track. What would you What would you have done if you were that kid? I would have shared. Okay. So as long as I can help her train a thought, move on, like it, I'm not as worried about the individual cases. Right. Okay, so, you, so fact of the matter is you just keep parenting the way that you want to parent. <laughs> and it's interesting because even yes. in the U.S., I was at a birthday party the other day where I was speaking to a mom, and at first I thought, oh, yeah, we could be friends. We're kind of, We have kids the same age, things like that, and we're talking. And then she brought up her daughter not giving her a toy when she asked for it right away, and, the, and then it became a power struggle. And then her solution was getting out the spoon to threaten her. And I'm just like, oh, oh well, no. what? Like, we still, that's still a thing here? And, and it was like, and she was saying it like it was no big deal. So obviously, we have a difference of parenting philosophy overall. But I just thought, gosh, what do you do? Because then I would say things like, if I had a, a in, in different parts of the conversation where I could um, empathize with a certain situation they had with their child, either, you know, not turning in their homework or, or, or the power struggle of homework after school or things like that. So whenever she, in different part of the conversation, she would bring up a situation, you know, where they were kind of having a battle with homework. And I would just kind of share what I do to kind of more gently help support my child, but not engage in that power struggle. And she just wasn't hearing me. And so then I kind mm-hmm. of just felt like it was pointless to even share because she wasn't hearing. But then, as I was kind of bummed after that conversation, like, it's a real bummer when people that really need parenting support and more parenting insight into there's other ways to do it. They can, And by doing a little more thought, putting a little more thought and intention into the way you're parenting your children, you can have massive changes of output from your kids that can just transform yeah, everybody's lives. Maybe. But then, so I was bummed that day. And then the very next day, I was at TJ Maxx. I don't know if you remember TJ Maxx stores from, you know, in the States. And oh, I was... they have TK Maxx here oh. from the UK. And it is just like it. It is awesome. I'm so yes. glad you have that available. I was going to be so sad for you. So now I'm not. Um, but I was checking out at the checker. And she said, oh, did you have a nice Mother's Day? And I said, oh, yeah, it was lovely. And she said, how many kids do you have? And I said, I had three. And she's like, oh. I could never do that. And it was kind of, I'm like, oh no, here we go. She's like, I have a 13 year old and he's so annoying. And she just starts ragging on him. And I thought, here we go again. This is the same thing that I experienced yesterday. But then I just decided to keep going. And I said, you know what? The very hardest parts of motherhood and that we work so hard on when we actually see some change in our kids or we see them making the right choice on their own without prompting, like proper modeling and sticking with it eventually yields change and the positive results. And sometimes it takes so long and you you want to give up way before, you know, you actually see that change. But when you don't give up, you you can see like how amazing your kids really are. And I'm literally telling the TJ Maxx checker this. And she stopped and she's like, you have a really happy perspective on motherhood. <laughs> I'm like, I, I do. And I'm like, but I don't want you to think it's easy for me either. My kids totally do things that are annoying, but I know they're not trying to ruin my life or annoy me. I'm not, I don't, I try not to take it personally. I just know that they're kids and kids are kids. Right, their job is to be kids. Yes, and when you can accept them as kids who are learning and trying to figure out the way in the world and support them in that and teach them better ways when it's not working for them, that's, that's our job. That's what we signed up to do. And she just like stopped and she's like, you're right. And I wasn't trying to be right or like make a point, but I was just really trying to offer her hope 
that nothing needed to change about her son to see him in a different light. Completely. <sighs> Completely. And so it gave me a lot of restored hope that even when I like share stories about how I parent or my philosophy or what I'm learning or when I ask questions to other moms who may not necessarily give me the answer or the response that kind of sits well with me, the point is to just keep going. Speak up when you feel prompted to, to speak up and keep modeling the behavior and stick with your vantage point of parenting that you feel like is for your kids because really you're only responsible for them. <laughs> That's all. Don't worry about 100%. the other ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Completely, completely. Mm -hmm. the, the one thing I have found that I've really had to let go of, I don't know if it's the embarrassment. I haven't quite nailed the feeling word down for it. You can tell it's the therapist in me. <laughs> but, um, you know, Americans are known as being so open and positive and, um, but also not taken seriously hmm. and seen as not being genuine because they're, they're, and also being naive. Um, so what happens sometimes is when I'm parenting and maybe it's a more positive parenting style, then I kind of get the little smirk of like, oh, that's the American way. Mm -hmm. And I really had to, and that's my, my interpretation of some of those looks sometimes. Sure. Um, I've really had to just remember exactly what you said. You parent the way that you want to, the way you know that's right for your kids because every child's different. Mm -hmm. And what what fits right for you may not fit right for someone else. And maybe it does fit right for them. And just by you modeling it, they may not show it in the moment, but they start to change. It plants the seeds. Um, so that is something I've really had to, to fight is parenting the way that they do. That might be a little more, I call it reactive hmm. versus proactive is the way I want to be and really working on that. Yeah. I could not agree anymore. I think the most awkward things, happen when we have the expectation that we think we can change somebody else's mind about it and that never ends well and so when, when my intention is simply to just parent according to how I want to parent my kids whatever byproduct comes from anybody seeing or asking questions or you know having any interpretation of whatever like they can they can think what they want they can respond how they right. want it can impact and penetrate their heart however deeply they want to let it or not at all and that's not on me, right? So I think we need to like yes. let that go. And I was feeling that a little heavy this week, and I don't, I don't I'm yeah. not there for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do not have to be flypaper. Yes. Like yes. You know. Yes. Totally. Let it like come yep. off of you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to know. You have little little girls right now, but as somebody who is has the background that you do, I'm sure you understand better than anybody the importance of starting young with, with setting them up for success, teaching, teaching them the sharing principles and beyond. So what things, I'm curious to know, are you really intentional about teaching your kids and modeling for your children right this very second when they are so, so young? What matters most to you to make sure that you're showing or teaching? For me, what matters most is... Um really healthy communication, those feeling words again, giving them a, a vocabulary to what's going on inside of them, and then coping strategies because the temper tantrums are going to happen. You're going to get angry. Mom has her own temper tantrums. Mom get ang gets angry too. So I want to model for them, and I also want to teach them ways to handle frustration, ways to handle that anger. Um, you know that I lost my mom in October 
and them watching me through the grief process even Mm -hmm. is setting them up for success in the future of understanding sadness and grief happens, loss happens, and you're allowed to cry because very often with kids, what do we do? Stop crying. Stop. You don't need to cry. It's okay. And in reality, they need to cry because they need to know that that's their body's way of responding to what's going on inside of them. And it's kind of like that tension being released and it's very healing. And so to see an adult cry, but be able to keep themselves together and to Mm -hmm. say, I'm really sad because of this, or I just got so angry when you did this and it really hurt my feelings. It teaches them they're allowed to feel those things. They're allowed to be sad. They're allowed to be angry. That's not what has to change. It's how they act in that emotion Mm. that has to be kind of conditioned. You know, when I'm really angry, I'm not throwing my toys, in quotes, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, my cell phone's not being thrown on the ground. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting all these, you know, jumping out my purse all over the ground. So when when I'm upset, I show them what I would want. You know, mom's going to take a deep breath right now. Mom needs a timeout. You know, whatever it might be so that they see hey, I expect the same thing of myself as I do you. You can't just throw your toys. You can't hit your sister. Do you see me hitting your dad when we have an argument? No, because that's not what we do. We use our hands for good things is what we say here. Um, So that's, I think for me, that's the biggest thing at this age is to go ahead and set the, it's the norm now. It's the norm to communicate what you're feeling. It's the norm to be angry. It's the norm to be sad. It's not normal to hurt someone or something in that process and, and giving them those tools. I think that's just to me, if I could say to any parent, like this is, this is something that could be really helpful. It would be a toolbox like that. Like Mm. here's, here's that feeling faces chart. You know, it's really helpful. Here's some strategies like go push a wall or grab a pillow and hug it real tight. Anything that creates body tension and then you release helps little kids to let out anger. Um, so things like that. I love that. I could not agree with everything you just said more than I do right now. Yes, 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 yes. And I think so many times when we feel ourselves about to cry, you know, a memory of your mom comes up or a special date or anniversary or something like that, you go in your room and you close your door and you have your cry. But when your kids right, don't know, right. they're bound to have those feelings as well. And if they don't have any model for what that's supposed to look like, it will come out any way they reactively want to express it. So yeah. it might be crying in a healthy way, but it might not be. It might be something that's destructive. It might be something that's not um, constructive, you know, things like that. And, right. and so I think that is absolutely so important. As much as we want to model positive quote unquote positive behavior for our kids. Also, when we make a mistake, apologizing and showing them how to come back from that when we do lose our temper or when we do do something that we wish we had done differently. Show them how to come back from a mistake because when you're trying to teach your kids how to be perfect and hold it together all the time, those are the people that end up in your office, Katie. Right. <laughs> well, right. all, all yeah. people end up in your office. There's no stereotype. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that because that's true. not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head, the term perfectionist, Mm -hmm. we create that in our children as well. And so you start to see that when they like try to write a letter or a number and they don't do it quote right and they beat themselves up. I can't do it. I can never do it. All of a sudden, you know, radar, (laughs) red flags, 
there's some perfectionistic qualities there and we need to like work on, Hey, mistakes, mistakes are a good thing. Mistakes are how we learn, you know, like it's all of a sudden we need to shift into instead of let's keep practicing till you do it right. It's also, let's talk about when we don't get it the way we want it to, how we can handle that, how we can turn that, you know, backwards three into something else, how we can, you know, those kinds of things, help helping them to be creative with their mistakes. Oh, I love that. Okay, I have a quick case study question that we'll just cover super brief and then we'll wrap up. So my three and a half year old, when he gets angry, throwing things is a norm. Also name calling to his older brothers is a norm. And so he'll say, you know, call his brother a name and I'll say, we only use nice words in our family. And he says, I can do, I can call him a name if I want to. Or if he throws something, I say, we don't throw things in our family. And he says, I can throw it if I want to. So what would you say or how would you respond to somebody that, and obviously he can. So sometimes I've said, yes, you can, you can do that. You, you, you can physically throw that. You can visit, you can physically call the name, but that's not what we want to do. Like that's not appropriate. So it's too many words for my three and a half year old. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I understand. Um, well, number one, control, a desire uh-huh. for control in his life. Yes. And I'm sure, especially with older sibling, like. Mm-hmm. There doesn't feel like there's a lot. The other thing I would say is yes, to say to him, you know, yes, you have the choice to do that, but and depending on how you, you parent, here's the consequence. Mm-hmm. If you do this, if you make that choice, you get that choice, here will be what the outcome will be because mm-hmm. we don't do X, Y, Z. You know, if mm-hmm. it's calling him a name or whatever it might be. Um, I am very serious when, when I do family therapy about like physical aggression just needs to have like a, not even a counting one, two, three, because we use the one, two, three magic strategy in our home, but there's no count. Like it's immediate timeout. It's immediate. Like we don't do that because breaking something, hurting someone, hurting ourselves. It is one of those things that it, for me, is just a hard stop because mm. mm. that can roll into something even bigger And so just giving them that space to calm down with, again, those strategies of how to calm down. Um, But as far as like the, just the, it sounds like it's sort of like, this is my power struggle with you. This is my control issue with you. Um, Do you guys do family meetings by chance? We don't, but it's always been something that I've considered. Like we do like family scripture study at night. So there's times where we're all together gathered. Right. um, And I think that'd be the perfect opportunity. So what would that look like? Yeah, so family meeting is a once a week time where you guys get together um, and talk about what's the plans for the week, what needs to get done. It's a great time for those of us who feel like the pressure of meal plans on our shoulders to say, what does everyone want to eat? And like, mm. you pick Wednesday, you pick Thursday kind of thing um, to say, these are the projects that we want to get done and who's going to do what. So it's not all on our shoulders. Again, as moms, we tend to feel like it's all on us. Sometimes it helps our partners to see, oh, wow, we, there is a lot of things going on. You know, <laughs> there's all these plans. <laughs> How do you balance all this? Anyways, yeah. um, I digress. The, the house doesn't get magically cleaned? What? Right, it's not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's an opportunity for you know, to share, like, hey, these are problems I'm having mm. in the family that we need to work on. And I usually advise having, like, a talking stick, something that you, you know, say, okay, it's your turn to talk. Here you go. And you can share with us that there's a problem, kind of airing grievance in a sense. But you guys as the parents are going to be coaching them through how to resolve. 
is it that you just want to vent right now and share with us that you're really hurt or would you really like to have some resolution to this and kind of teaching Hmm. them what that would look like? Um, and I have a family meeting success blueprint that I guide people through this all the way through and with worksheets. So the first three family meetings, you know what to say, what to do, and it gets the kids on board. It gets them excited because all of a sudden they have, they have the trust and knowing once a week we're going to get together and talk about things and I can share when I'm not happy about something Hmm. and it won't be yelled at because it's during dinner time. It won't be like yelled at because we're going to get out the door. We'll talk about this later. Like it's a space where they know they can talk. There's a space for accountability for everyone and, and healthy communication can all of a sudden be built. Um, so I, I strongly believe in family meetings because a little one like that who don't have a lot of control all of a sudden have space and it will be somewhat contained because you'll have to say, maybe use a timer. You get two minutes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. share with us. Um, and then you usually wrap up with something that's positive. Like what's something you're proud of this week? What's your, you know, what's the strength you have or some families like to, you know, they have a, a secret handshake or something they, they do or say to just make it about their family. And it creates, I call it teamwork makes a dream work kind of motto and mentality of our home is ours. We want to be a part of it. Um, and we want to work together and problems are going to occur, but we're going to work on them. I, this is exactly what I need. This is exactly what I need. Okay. Where can I find that? So I will give you the link so then you can share it as well with the listeners. Okay. We'll add it to the show notes at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. And of course we'll link to everywhere people can find you, but just go ahead and tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Best place is on my website, positive-connections.com. If you are a mom looking for support in uh, how you lead and manage your home, there's a Facebook group that I run called Chief Household Officers because that's a job. Uh-huh. The mom part's the identity, but like running the home is a job. Yes. That's separate. Um, so I teach skills and productivity with that. Um, and I'll make sure you've got the links for those as well so that people can find me in those spaces. I'm on Instagram, um, both as Positive Connections and as from stay-at-home mom to chief household officer. So you'll be able to find me there too. So good. So good. Katie, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I have so much food for thought to, to mull over and I'm excited to do these family meetings. Thank you for sharing your journey and your expertise. It has meant so much to me this morning. I know the listeners are going to love it. I always ask my guests just one final question. It's the basis of this whole podcast. My mission for the show is for not only the guests, but the listeners to realize how extraordinary they are. And sometimes the things that make the most extraordinary are not the things I would put on a resume. (laughs) It's not the things that they've done or the things that they've created. It is the simply the act of showing up using and utilizing um the gifts and talents that they were born with to contribute in a beautiful way and we, when we can really own the value of those special parts of us we can contribute that much more and we can develop confidence that much more so i want to know for you what makes you extraordinary this is a wonderful beautiful question to ask i actually at the dinner table asked my husband Mm-hmm. And in a mom brain moment said, what makes me extraordinary? And he goes, <laughs> what? <laughs> I, like, I mean, extraordinary, honey, extraordinary. That's what I meant. <laughs> so he, then, of course, the German in him's like, ha ha, extraordinary. Yes. <laughs> um, so what makes me extraordinary that I believe and it's something my mother instilled in me is compassion for others. 
and ability to um, sit with people and hear their stories and, and to not judge them. I tell you, in my therapy office, I've heard all sorts of things. Um, and I can't think of a time where somebody said to me, wow, you really made me feel worse about myself or like it really hurt. Um, I tend to get a lot of the, it feels so good to get that off my shoulders. And this is like a safe place to do that. So it's very important to me that, that people feel that compassion um, because I have a deep love for people. And, and that is why my mission really is, is to help them improve their relationships and improve their lives. Mm. And you're doing it. You're doing it with Thank the people you. that you work with. You're doing it in your own home. And those are some lucky girls you have. That is awesome. Thank you. I just wish we lived next door to each other. How do we make I that know. happen? <laughs> we are just on the same wavelength at every step. I love it so much, Katie. Thank you so much for sharing today and for adding so much um, to this audience. It just was a wonderful conversation. I think you're extraordinary. Thank you, Jessica. I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you. I absolutely loved chatting with Katie today and I'm so grateful for her coming on the show. I will be sure to link everywhere you can find her online. Of course, she is abroad, so you're going to need to follow her only online unless you happen to live in Germany. Lucky you if you are, but over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. I really loved what she's talked about when she was saying how we can model perfectionism for our kids and how detrimental that can be when we don't show them ways to make a comeback or to learn from a challenge or to learn from even a quote-unquote failure, right? When we show them the, the effective ways to work through those challenging times, we are showing them the full picture of how to feel a broad range of emotions, how to experience a broad range of experiences, and maintain equilibrium kind of in a, in a healthy way. I just thought that was genius. So thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the show today and sharing your motherhood journey and your expertise. I learned so much. So I hope everyone has a great day. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. So excited to bring you another amazing episode next week. So we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.